This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us again today. I'm Adam Hughes, and I'm here again with Charlie Ray. Uh, just to be reminded, we are we are working our way through, and we're talking about things related to the office of pastor, the definition of pastor. What is a pastor? What is a, a biblical shepherd? One of the things in our definition and, and how we've kind of fleshed this out, Charlie, is that... Uh, what a pastor, who a pastor is, the role of pastor, the definition of pastor does matter and connect to what a pastor does or or the activities of a pastor. And so one of the things that I think we have to think about when we talk about a pastor's role, what a pastor does, is uh, a pastor leading is he has the responsibility of refuting false teachings. Or maybe the positive way to say it is to guard his sheep or guard the flock. So just today as we get started, let me just pitch the question, pitch the question to you. What do you think about this? How do you think a pastor goes about recognizing false teachers? Yeah, I think that's a good question for us to discuss because it's one thing to say, I need to refute false teaching. I need to guard the sheep, protect the church from false teaching. But it's a little bit harder to sort of determine what that looks like. I think there's some very practical reasons. Jesus uses the language of ravenous wolves who dress themselves up in sheep's clothing. Uh, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, he'd talk about Satan uh, disguising himself as a servant of, right, uh, as a servant of light, as, as Satan's servants disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. So one of the implicit recognitions there to begin with is false teachers don't usually come in and say, hey, I'm a false teacher. The whole point is they try to pass themselves off as doing something good. They try to pass themselves off as faithful pastors, as actual servants of God. So consequently, we do need to be on guard. We need to be do need to be thinking, well, okay, then how do I recognize these people who are false teaching, uh, teaching false things? How do I get past the sheep's clothing and find out if it's a ravenous wolf underneath? So, so I, I want us to talk through today three questions that I think are helpful for us to answer this question, how do I recognize a false teacher? One of the, the primary ones, the first one that I would say is, are they proclaiming the gospel? Now, that might sound, sound like a very basic question, but it's actually a little bit in-depth for a couple of reasons. One, it means I know what the gospel is. How can I know if somebody isn't teaching the gospel if I don't know what the gospel is? So we need to have a very firm understanding of what is the gospel. But let me just use a couple of passages to demonstrate why this is so important. I like to contrast Galatians 1 and Philippians 1. So in Galatians chapter 1, Paul just comes out and he talks about those who are preaching another gospel, which isn't a gospel at all, but is a false gospel. And he says, these people need to be accursed, right? They fall under the curse of God for proclaiming a false gospel. In this case, probably by adding some things to the gospel. Uh, if you look at Philippians chapter 1, and this is a very challenging thing for me as a pastor, in Philippians 1, Paul is not dealing with people who pe preach a false gospel, 
but he's dealing with people who preach the true gospel with wrong motives. It's really astounding. Paul is in prison when he writes Philippians, and he talks about these teachers who can preach the gospel from envy and rivalry. He actually even says that they can teach the gospel for the purpose of causing him trouble in his imprisonment. And what's Paul's response to that? It's not, yeah, it's not let them be a curse like Galatians 1, but what am I going to do? Man, I rejoice and and, and I continue to rejoice. Why? because the gospel is being proclaimed. So in in Galatians chapter 1, you have false teachers who are perverting and teaching a false gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, you have people who are preaching the true gospel with false motives, and Paul's response to those two scenarios is drastically different. And so I think one initial point to ask is, are they proclaiming the gospel? What a contrast in the same person's response. Anathema Rejoice. Yeah. <laughs> that is just, I think you you paint a wonderful picture there that helps us think through that. There's a couple thoughts that I have here. Uh, one relates to me personally, and it does come out of that Gal- even that Galatians passage, Galatians 1 passage. And then I, I want to I follow up with a question with you and get your thoughts on something. So number one, one of the ways I've even tried to work this out when I've pastored, and one of the things that we, we say is, it's not only as a pastor your your job to yourself recognize false teachings, but you're also wanting to help your sheep learn the word enough themselves so that they can what? Absolutely. Recognize right. false teachings. So one of the ways that I've always tried to pastor towards that is to say to my people, don't even take my word for it. Check everything I'm saying. Evaluate everything, measure everything, even I say as pastor against the very word of God itself that you are reading, that you're studying. And by the way, if I say something that goes against the clear teaching of Scripture, uh, listen, I, I'm giving you permission. As a matter of fact, I'm demanding that at that point you take the you 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 take the side of God and of Scripture right. above me Absolutely. and call me out on it. And Absolutely. so, where where does that relate to even Galatians one? Well, remember how Paul even kind of ends that anathema section. He says, "If if I, if even I or an angel from heaven right. should preach a gospel other than the one that you received, don't listen. Don't listen." Yeah. Uh, let him be a curse. Let me be a curse. And so I think a part of, I've said this before as well, right? I know my heart left unchecked, left unguarded. It needs to even be accountable. Absolutely. And it's accountable to the whole flock. And so there's this interesting interplay. I'm teaching the the people. I'm guarding them from false teaching. I'm teaching them to recognize false, te- false e- teaching. Even if it comes Even from if you. it's me. Right. That's right. And so I think that that I think what you're saying there really makes that point very, very well. Well, and so we do need to encourage our churches to be Bereans, as it were, right? So they even the, as the Bereans listen to Paul, they go back to the scriptures and check what he says against the scriptures. And so everything needs to be measured against the authority of God's word. Because even as we and we'll get into later issues of what is preaching, but even as we stand up to preach and teach God's word. We don't do so under our own authority. It's not what we say doesn't matter because it's what we say, but it's because what God has spoken through His Word. And so I think that's a helpful reminder to continually encourage our churches to be saying, just like Paul did in Galatians 1, yeah, don't just take my word for it. Make sure and, and check. And, and we probably don't have too long to go down this road, but it does say that when we stand up to preach and teach, People at least be able need to know what passages we're referring to, so they can check it against God's word. I say this a lot in relation to our kids. If if my kids hear nothing but sound doctrine, but they don't know what scriptures it's supposed to be coming from, it's good that they hear sound doctrine. But what's going to happen when they go off to their next church? 
and the next pastor is preaching things that are not sound, and they can't tell where in the scripture that comes exactly. from either, then how are they going to be taught to check that against God's word? So I, I think that's a helpful reminder. I had an experience like this in seminary where uh, we had somebody come to chapel, and they did that very thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was in this pastoral ministry class afterwards, and there were several of us going, well, that was an exposition. There's a problem here. And the professor said to us, but was anything he said unbiblical? And, and to some extent, his point was right because it wasn't. Of course, my response back to my professor was, but how would we know? Right. And his response to me was, well, good point. <laughs> let, let me ask. I know we need to move on. I, I want to ask you one question because I do think this is relevant with where we are today. So saying, making sure they're proclaiming the gospel. You know, we live in a day that even in the church, we're almost anything and everything and I don't think this is intentionally done this way, it's called the gospel. Right. And so you made the point for to actually know what the gospel is ourselves. Because I think what happens sometimes is if we're not careful, we'll conflate gospel issues or gospel ethics with the actual gospel itself. Now, I'm not calling people that do that false teachers, but I am saying that can confuse the point if not careful. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of questions, sort of now sub-questions, that we can think about under this broader, are they proclaiming the gospel? Well, then the question becomes, how do we know? I like to use three kind of simple questions to think through that issue. First of all, what are they saying the problem is? So I would argue that basically the, the big problem that we're dealing with is our own sin right, is the need to be forgiven of our sins so that we can stand before a holy and righteous God because we are not holy. Uh, We deserve the judgment and wrath of God for our sins, and we need salvation from that. So what's the problem that they're putting forward? Uh, What do they argue is the solution to the problem? Well, ultimately, the solution to my sin has to be the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he came and lived the sinless life, that he was raised from the dead, that he died as the atoning sacrifice for my sins. And then finally, and I'm not as pleased with how this is worded, but how is the problem solved? How is that solution applied, I guess? Mm. So now we're talking about through repentance from sins and faith in the work of Christ, right? Not trusting in what we do uh, for forgiveness, but trusting and believing in the work that Christ has done on our behalf. I think this can be really subtle sometimes. I was listening to somebody talk one time, and it was really interesting because if you think about it from these three questions, they were dealing with basically the fact that when somebody sins against you, that God can sort of deliver you from the sins that other people commit against you. Now, is that true? Yeah, it actually is true. And other people are going to sin against us. And we can trust in God when other people sin against us. But if I just go out there, I mean, think about it this way. If I'm going out and witnessing to somebody and I'm all I'm telling them is, mm-hmm. man, other people are going to treat you wrong. And man, man, can God help you when other people treat you wrong. So believe in God, trust in God, because he can help deliver you from other people's sins. Have I presented the gospel to them? No, that's right. You and haven't. I'm actually arguing no, because the real problem is not that other people sin against you. And listen, other people sin against me and and I haven't experienced as, as horrific abuse as other people have, right? I mean, other people have really been in bad situations where they've been grossly mistreated. And we do want to tell those people God is able to deal with that. But is that really the problem of the gospel? And that's how subtle it can be sometimes where you hear a message that is just genuine truth, but is it the proclamation of the gospel? Right. Yeah, the biggest problem isn't isn't people have sinned against me. It's me. I've, it's right. I've sinned against the holy God. 
Yeah, or even in the prosperity gospel, this is where it goes off the rails, right? Because can God bless you? And can God actually give you stuff? Well, sure, that's a possibility. And does God want to bless you? Sure. Yeah, he actually does. It's it's actually he wants to bless us in far less temporal ways than the prosperity gospel Absolutely. argues for. And so this is where distortions of the gospel are so uh, deceiving sometimes. And again, this is the whole point of taking something that's true and twisting it just enough so that it becomes false. Especially if you look at Galatians 1 before we move on. If you look at the false teachers in Galatians 1, not everything they were saying was wrong. Right. Right? But they twisted it just enough so that effectively they turned it into something that was not a gospel. So that's a a way I like to think through, okay, has the gospel been presented here? And what I love about this is from a scriptural standpoint, as we just kind of wrap up this first question is, right, we... There are multiple places in Scripture, but even the Apostle Paul gives testimony to this himself, right, in 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you what was of most of, of first, first mm-hmm. importance. And, uh, and there he lays out, right, what the tenets of the gospel are. So we even see Paul himself, if you will, uh, give testimony to the importance of making sure the gospel's the gospel. Yeah. And I, and I think, and, and again, we probably need to move on, but I think we can, sometimes we think of the gospel as just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I actually do think the Bible uses broader language than that. Even thinking about the second coming, for example, where Paul talks in Romans 2 about uh, the, the thoughts of men being judged according to my gospel, right? So I think sometimes we can make the gospel too small, um, but we can also try to make it too big and, and lump all these other things in under the gospel. And, and that's where we begin to, if we're not careful, turn it into a false gospel. And so I think those questions can help us discern that. Well, very good. Well, I think that's uh, that's great. So one of the things that we have to ask when we're trying to fall, uh, spot uh, or recognize a false teacher is, are they proclaim the gospel? Charlie, what other question would you say that should be asked? The second question I would I would bring up is, does their life match their teaching? It's interesting here that we're actually, in talking about false teachers, we're looking at the negation of what a pastor is, right? So if a pastor is supposed to teach what's true, a false teacher is teaching what's false. If a pastor is supposed to live in a manner that's befitting the gospel, right, if the character of a pastor matters, then the opposite of that is, well, their life doesn't match their teaching. After talking about these ravenous wolves in, in sheep's clothing, Jesus goes on to say that you will recognize false teachers by their fruits in Matthew seven sixteen. Uh, Paul in Titus warns about false teachers in Crete, and he goes on to talk about people who profess to know God, but who denied God by their works in Titus 1, 16. Uh, even in 1 Timothy, when Paul's talking about false teachers. He talks about people who are arrogant. He talks about people who love controversy and love to stir up the divisions and dissensions. And so um, false teachers might be able to disguise themselves for a while, but ultimately, if you watch closely enough, they'll be exposed by their bad behavior at some point. False teaching and bad living go together. Uh, They flow out from each other. Yeah, and and you mentioned we say it's the negation of what a pastor is, and we see those in those lists. And even uh, our listeners will see on our website and even here in a podcast where we talk about one of the questions is, how do I know if I'm called? Mm -hmm. And the two most objective uh, questions that you ask to know if I'm called is, do do I possess skill in teaching the Word, teaching the gospel, and does my life reflect the gospel? So again, it's a negation of, this is a negation of what a pastor is, and it's also the opposite 
of what we should ask if we're trying to discern, have I been called to the charge of pastoring a church? I think especially in our world, we need to be very aware. We've talked about this some before, but we live in a world where we have lots of access to good teaching and lots of access to bad teaching. So we're doing a podcast right now. Some people who listen to this podcast will know us. Uh, maybe some of our students will, uh, maybe family members, whatever. But uh, presumably, some people who listen in right now don't know us. We've never met before. So there's an implicit recognition right there that they can't check our behavior. Uh, the same is true of a conference speaker, uh, even sometimes of seminary professors, right? People in our classes aren't always seeing us living out our lives on a day-to-day basis. So um, I think we have to be very careful uh, with sort of what we see out there on the internet. Um, so again, this is just a reminder that because people can't check the lives of, of people they never meet, it's sort of an implicit reminder, you better be checking to see if what they're saying is measuring up with the truth of God's word. So for your pastor in your church, the church has a responsibility to look at their pattern of living. Uh, I think that's tremendously important, but it's sort of an implicit recognition. Um, there can be something dangerous about the sort of celebrity culture that we live in, where we elevate these people and we actually have no idea what they're doing um, when they go home. And I think that matters. Yeah, and I think you know I've experienced this, and perhaps my reaction to it has a little bit of, been a little bit of pride on my part. But as a pastor, right, what we're one of the things we're not saying here is that you should never go to conferences or don't don't listen to your seminary professor. Obviously, right. we wouldn't say that, <laughs> or that you can't learn anything from them. But what you are saying is, and I've seen the same thing. What like people in my church went off to a conference or people in other churches where I know their pastor went off to a conference, and that speaker is, in their mind, so much better than their own pastor. Mm -hmm. They wish their pastor was that person or or, or was that way or knew that much. And so we have this tendency to actually give that place of honor, if I can say it like this, to to those speakers that we see one time for 30 minutes that we don't know. And really, we should be, if our pastor is worthy of that, we should be actually doing the the opposite, the reverse. We do know our pastor. And uh, we should be giving that place of honor to them. So we're actually taking the place of honor that's reserved for our pastor and we're giving it to somebody that we don't know whether they deserve it or not. The other thing I always say, and this really isn't your point, but perhaps just another warning here is, right, you see this one person for 30 minutes and you hear this this message that they've probably worked on for five years that they preach a hundred times or share a hundred times and it seems flawless. Where there's a reason for that, Absolutely. where your pastor is basically having from Monday to, to, to Sunday or Saturday uh, prepare maybe one, two, three uh, messages for you. And so again, for all of those reasons, we're given the place that really we should be thinking of towards our pastor to those that, uh, that, that we shouldn't be giving that to. And I get your point is ultimately related to their life. But I do think that relates as well to how we think about our pastor, if we have a faithful pastor. I think that's a good warning. And I would go so far as to say, if you're listening to a conference speaker and you keep thinking, man, I wish my pastor was more like this, I'd actually say probably stop listening to that person for a while. Right Now, it may be, you may be in a church situation where you're actually not hearing faithful teaching from exactly, your pastor. Exactly, sure. So, so we recognize that, and this is part of checking to see, you know, is my pastor not what they're supposed to be? So, so that, that's part of it, but I, I do I do warn people, again, don't give honor where it's not due. I would even say, you know, the conference speaker has no idea what your name is. They bear no responsibility for your soul. They're not going to give an account for you in the same way that your pastor is. 
Absolutely. So ultimately, what we're talking about here as we ask this second question is uh, what does the the fruit of their lives look like? What fruit right. are they bearing? And I think that's a very important question. So so we've asked these two questions. One relates to what it is that they're teaching. The other relates to how it is that they're living. Is there a third question that you would say may, may be worthy to ask if we're trying to refute false teachings and spot false teachers? I think a particularly rele- relevant one for our day and age is, are they endorsing as good things that God condemns? So in 1 Timothy 4, Paul talks about false teachers in Ephesus who are actually uh, requiring abstinence from things that God created to be good. So saying, don't eat certain foods, and God says these foods are good, and the false teachers come and say, no, they're bad. Actually, I think we see it in the opposite realm more in our culture today, where false teachers are actually taking something that God says is bad and saying that it's good. Uh, One easy way I like to talk about this is I I think we could actually use the Old Testament law, which is good, Paul would tell us, right, and and, and shows us some of what God requires. We literally have people today taking things that God says, this deserves death, and now false teachers are trying to say, no, this is actually a good thing. Sexual immorality is an easy one to talk about there, where adultery uh, now into open marriages in our culture, homosexuality, things like that. Through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this in Romans chapter 1, 2. Paul says these kinds of things, people who do these kinds of things deserve death. And so I would argue that people who take things that God condemns and try to turn them into saying, no, this is actually a good thing, that's another way we need to be very wary of some false teachers today. Absolutely. I also think about that Romans 1 passage beginning there in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, It's interesting that they deserve death, and even God is saying in his word that they're currently... It's not that there's a future time of wrath coming, but they're currently under God's wrath, which is why the gospel is so important to be shared with them because, like you said, this is a sin that God condemns and is currently condemning in their life, so you're actually not helping people if you are, if you think you're lightening the load and being helpful. Actually, you're being a false teacher and perhaps even condemning people more under the wrath of God. Well, and so Paul in Romans one thirty two says, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, and this is after giving slanders and haters of God, insolent, boastful, all these things, right? They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice yeah. them. And that actually perfectly describes some false, false teachers yeah, false today. Teachers. And this, this actually does go back to a gospel issue because, right, we go back to that question of what is the problem? And ultimately... We can say we're proclaiming the gospel, but if we just do away with the category of sin, then how can we actually say we're proclaiming the gospel? Right? If there's, if effectively what we do is say, yeah, you need to be forgiven, but we turn it into, well, there's actually nothing you really need yeah, to be forgiven right. of because there's no such thing as sin, then we've 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 completely changed the gospel at that point. And, and turned it into something other than what it really and is. And I was actually going to say that from the implication of what you're saying here, if we connect the first question with the last question, in some ways we could say a false teacher actually could, in, in essence, proclaim the gospel right. In other words, talk about uh, talk about Jesus's mm-hmm. uh, coming, living a perfect, sinless life, going to the cross, death on the cross, resurrection, even coming again to set things right. They could get those tenets of Christ, his ministry, and his gospel right, but what your contingency is, but still be a false teacher if, if as it relates to sin, 
not not willing to 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 identify sin as sin. As a matter of fact, do the opposite with right, it. Right. Right. One of the things I think we can close with is this is a very practical issue that pastors will face related to guarding the church against false teaching is. Do I name names is one question that I would get to at that point. And so I think that's one of the tensions that we deal with is because we're going to, there are people out there like this, right? There are actual people who are proclaiming these things. And especially in, in, in our modern day and age, our church members have access to teaching from all these different kinds of people uh, doing all the kinds of things we've talked about today. So one of the tensions that I faced a lot as a pastor is, well, do I name names? And I tried to kind of walk a balance there. And basically my theory is, is essentially this. If all I ever do is name names, then my church isn't going to be looking for the principles, right? Effectively, what I'm going to be doing is giving them a list of names. And as long as you stay away from these people, you're all right. You're okay. Well, what about the next guy? Right. What about the name I haven't heard of yet? And so I think in a sense, we need to be careful that we're not just naming names, that we're focusing on the underlying issues. We can get into our hobby horses of just picking on this one guy all the time, and it gives the church the impression, well, if I just stay away from him, I'm okay. Well, no, that's not how it works. I think on the other hand, if we never name names, it's almost like the church thinks we're ghost hunting, right? Mm -hmm. So so we'll think, well, he's just talking about this stuff, but I guess nobody's really doing it. So I think in particular, especially if we know people in the church are being influenced by somebody who's a false teacher. I think we do need the name names. Paul would actually talk about marking certain people in Romans, right, uh, and, and and sort of marking them off as false teachers. So that's one of the tensions that I find, and I think we have to balance that where we are naming names, but then also not just making it about the names only. Charlie, that's really helpful. You know, you said our people have access now uh, more than ever to teachings that are out there. And I like to say the opposite side of that is false teachers have access mm-hmm. or direct line to our people more than ever before right. as well. So there's good things about technology, and then there's difficult things about technology. So I think the word that you just gave there kind of in conclusion to really make a practical application for a pastor in the church of how to handle that is very, very helpful. So thank you so much for your entire uh, your entire discussion here and these questions, and also ending with a very practical way of approaching how you should practically carry this out in your church. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today. And for our audience, we thank you for listening once again. We hope you have a great day and we look forward to talking with you again. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.